Welcome to the Financial Dads Podcast with Paul Fagan and Jody Fisher. This is the podcast for all dads who want to succeed with life's topics, especially related to family and finances. And here's my dad, Paul Fagan. Hey, Jody. How you doing? Hello, Paul. How are you? I'm doing well. Fantastic. Um, it's so funny. This past week, uh, we were talking about uh, financial education from the workplace last week. And there was an interesting email I got this past week, but it was actually from my 401k plan provider where they're offering a 401k workshop, which I, which I kind of thought was interesting. It tied to what we were talking about is, you know, getting as much education as possible. Um, this was more of a 401k 101 workshop. Um, and I'm thinking that gave me a, um, a podcast idea. Maybe we'll touch upon that in the near future, Jody, is to kind of talk about 401ks from our perspective and just go through the basics. Um, but it was interesting that coincidentally I got an email that was related. Maybe they were listening. Yeah, <laughs> maybe that's what it was. You never know who's listening. Yep. And, 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 the, uh, and on, on that note, my non-retirement mutual funds are tanking, right? So as ah, I predicted. Yes, mine too. Yep, yep. So, so it's my a fun timing week was to watch that graph go down into the right. <laughs> oh, my timing was perfect. And then the last financial update this week was we're going um, to blame you, Paul. We're going to blame you for the stock market. That's graph. right. It's all on my shoulders. All on my shoulders. Um, I wanted to give a little bit of a gym update. So, I did rant last week about the gym and how I probably won't get uh, the cancellation done in a, in a in a timely manner or properly. And, you know, the next day on Sunday, I got a call from the gym and they got my paperwork and they're going to uh, ignore the normal rules because we're in the middle of COVID and they're going to cancel my gym membership as the end of uh, October. Okay. I was like, oh, all right. Something, all right. So something moved in the right direction. I guess so. You know, and and uh, which leads me to my other gym story is I joined a new gym and um, it's a bit pricey, uh, the gym I joined, but the reality is, and I, I keep going, I think if you listen back to our fitness episode, I talk about this. When you pick a gym, it has to be you have it has to be sustainable. Like you, you can't save money on a gym and pick it where it's like two towns over. You'll never go. Right? So I wound up having to go to a gym that's more local uh, in my community and it's a little more expensive than what I was paying. But I think the net result will be that I'll use it more. Right. So that was kind of the trade off. So that's only my that's only my, comes for me. That's my tip. If you're going to save money on the gym because you think that picking a gym that's cheaper, that's further away is going to work. I'm not sure if it's going to work. I think gyms rely on that model. I don't know what your thoughts are on that, Jody. Uh, I have my gym in my basement mm. right now. So ever since the start of covid, uh, we have I we both have defaulted to the uh, the Peloton bike and the uh uh, and the weights in in the basement, and and we're doing great actually. So uh, we don't we don't need a gym. We we used to love the gym, but we just don't need it anymore. So we're not using it now. Do you think post COVID, dial the clock ahead? Pff, I'm not sure yet. Um, I don't think anyone knows. But do you think you would go back to a gym? Nope. Me personally, I don't need it because I've found a new routine um, that has replaced what I got from the gym. And in fact, I work out more. I work out better. Um, and I enjoy the experience more. And as my wife said to me the other morning when it was a little frosty out, uh, as she was going to get on the bike, she says, boy, I'm so glad I don't have to drive to the gym this morning. And I agreed with her. Oh, very cool. Very so, cool. So yeah, we go early in the morning. So, you know, it's uh, at this time of the year, it's dark out. Uh, it's cold out. 
if you're going out in the morning. Um, and so being able to just go a few steps down into the basement, way better than having to get in a car. Yeah, I don't want to turn this into a gym discussion, <laughs> but it's so funny, Jody, because I found the opposite with me. I, yeah, I wound up. Oh, it's all personal. Yeah, it's totally, it's totally personal. personal. And I have the uh, bike at home and I was using it and then I found myself using it less and using it less. And I think for me, the motivation is, and I, we've talked about this, swinging the legs over the bed, getting dressed and kind of getting you know into the car and going. I, I don't know why. And then when I get to the gym, I love the fact that there are other people in the gym uh, as miserable as I am at that Other time of day. People. Yeah, right. And I don't know. So so I guess to each his own. But that's a great call out. So good two good tips, right? So working out at home can work. If you're hesit if you're hesitant, listen to Jody. Give it a give it a try. You probably save a lot of money by doing it at home. Or listen to me. If you're gonna pick a gym, don't pick a gym that's cheap that's three towns over. Pick something that's sustainable <laughs> that you'll actually use. So we'll we'll stop on that rant of the uh, of the gym and um, talk about our weekly topic, which this week's gonna be our, a fun topic we love to do. Reddit personal finance topics, right? We've done this before. We're gonna continue to do it. We have a lot of fun with it. Um, we will jump uh, into the into the personal finance and now the financial independence group. That's on reddit.com. And financial independence is related to the FIRE movement that we talked about last week, Jody. So I found that new channel. So we're going to do a question from that channel today as well. Um, but first, let's talk about some news we saw this past week. The first news story, uh, a good, it's a timely uh, news story for this time of year. IRS announces 2021 retirement plan contribution limits for 401ks and more. And this is from Forbes, and there's a lot of stories on this. Um, what I usually do is I search this around this time of year to figure out what's my max that I could contribute to my 401k. And now I'm going to admit it, I have to now consider catch-up contributions, right? Because I have turned 50 or no, I haven't turned 50 yet. <laughs> haven't yet did you just very, forget your own birthday very close yeah i just that's what happens when you turn 50 you forget your own birthdays that's where it starts um i i i haven't turned it yet but the, the irs rule is that you can contribute the catch-up amount in the year of your birthday so unbeknownst to myself i guess my IR, my, uh, my, my uh, 401k provider has automatically been doing that because when I looked at my contributions year to date, I burst past the limits of the, mm. of the 19k. I think it went from 19 to 19.5 for 2021, but I'm past that. So I think it's recognizing that I turned 50 in this year. So it's allowing me to put more money towards my 401k. So that's been my rule of thumb, Jody. I know we've talked about it and we'll dig deep into an episode on this, but I always max out my contributions. Um, it's the only uh, tax break we get uh, that most Americans get, or at least I get as an employee of a place, right? So you don't get many tax breaks. You don't get many write-offs. You don't get any of these things. So I max out my retirement savings and put as much away as possible. And I still have a traditional 401k. Um, in here, they talk about 401ks. They talk about the catch-up contribution. They talk about SEP IRAs and solo 401ks for those that are self-employed where the limits are much higher. There's after-tax 401k contributions if you're using a Roth IRA. And um, there's other uh, items in here around individual retirement plans. So it gives all the new rules of the road or all the updated rules of the road uh, that the IRS provides. Jody, what was your take on this story? 
Yeah, there's a lot going on in this. There's a lot of moving parts, and there's a lot of you know complicated things that if, if you're not a financial professional, you may not necessarily understand. So I think I, I whenever I run up against that, the first thing I always do is I dial it back a little bit. Um, you, know, you should always be doing all you can to save. And to your point, Paul, when you're especially if you uh, uh, have an employer match uh, at your work, you should absolutely be contributing to your 401k to grab that employer match because you'd be surprised how fast that money will pile up. Um, it's also a good idea to be doing that because you start to learn to live on less. Um, and and you'll also be surprised, you know, 3% or whatever that number works out to be 3% out of your paycheck Um you know, you, you look at that if you're not contributing, uh, and I have in the past as well, and gone, well, I could really use that extra money. You know what? You can really live without that extra money. You can figure out how to cut something out of your budget that ends up being whatever that number is per, per paycheck, right? Um, so figure out how to live on less. Take that money, stuff it in that account, grab the employer match, let that thing bulk up, and then go talk to your investment professional your accountant, your whoever, um, and, and figure out how to navigate the rest of these rules to make sure that you end up in a place when you cross that threshold of 59 and a half or whenever you retire or whatever age you want to start withdrawing that money, um, that you have a decent pile of money to draw down on. It may not be a million dollars. You may not be able to you know, quit the job and go travel the world, but that money will come in handy sooner or later. So make sure that you're putting aside just that little bit. Um, every single paycheck. Yeah, that's a great uh, call out, Jody, where I'm picking through your, a lot of great nuggets there, but the key one was where once you remove that money from your your purview and it goes into that account, you won't spend it and you won't miss it and it'll just become part of your daily life and your in your daily finance or your, your, your financial picture. And that's what, the way I've done it. And so that's a great call out because every time I've ticked it up and now, um, I max out my 401k. It's just something we do. We sacrifice that to, to make sure that we get as much as possible. I'm at the point where we don't miss it, right? So we're not saying, oh, that money's there, right? Because we've lived without it for so long in our paychecks that it's just become second nature that we don't, we don't even think about it anymore. It's just there and every paycheck it goes and we never say, oh, I wish I had that money in our savings account or checking account so I could go buy something. So that's a great call out. Um, the second story is from Sarah O'Brien, and it's from CNBC. Um, Confessions of a personal finance reporter, three of my worst money mistakes. And the highlights are her new car purchase, my ongoing war with a small plastic rectangle. <laughs> we all know what that is. And my irrational exuberance. So I thought this was very interesting. And I think a lot of Americans, a lot of folks are struggling with this. I, I think we've all gone through... Uh, the new car syndrome or going through buying a new car and maybe buying one above our means and, and then kind of living with the consequences or, you know, getting into, well, we've talked about this, Jody. We've both battled that uh, that that plastic addiction of the credit card, right? And we've gotten through and we're, re we're recovering. We're in recovery, right? We've been in recovery for so long um, that it's not a big deal anymore, uh, but we still have to watch it. And then, you know, when it comes to, you know, the exuberance of, of, um, investing right so not getting tied up in these different um the emotions of the investment and kind of using a level head jody what were your thoughts on this story 
Yeah, I think this is one of those articles. It's a, it's a cute uh, write-up. Uh, none of this is shocking. Everybody, I think, has made one or more of these mistakes, whether it's uh, with credit cards, with cars, uh, or with investing. Um, you can read through it. You'll probably find a little bit of yourself in, in each one of these. Um, and, and so I think it, it all – I think what I came away with was that everybody's got these problems. <laughs> and what you have to do is you have to wrap your arms around them and defeat them. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I think that's a great um, call out. And I think that this is a good um, lead in to the weekly topic, right? Reddit personal finance random topics, because there's a lot of mistakes that are being made <laughs> in these in these questions and a lot of different um, uh, points of view that are being presented by different people. So our goal today or our job today is to try to uh, talk to each one of these and see if we can uh, give our advice, Jody. And I know you like to do these cold, right? So I'll just go to the first one. We'll kind of click on the link. And the first one is from the Financial Independence channel. And it's keeping finances separate from your spouse. And we will post all these links on here so you can you know, play back and play along with us and see what your thoughts are on for each one of these. And if you read through the different bits of advice in here, it's pretty crazy. Uh, but basically, um, this person is talking about her husband earns significantly more than I do, five, she's a, uh, five years away from achieving financial independence, adamant about splitting expenses 50-50. Um, so this is very interesting in terms of, I guess the husband feels that the household is a 50-50 split. And if his wife is making, you know, X amount less than him, it doesn't matter. You're going to pay your fair share anyway, which I think is very interesting. Um, Jody, what was your take on this uh, question and what, what would be your answer? Yeah, uh, let, let's read through this just a little bit. Like you like you set it up, Paul. Uh, she says, my husband earns significantly more than I do, five years away from achieving financial independence. He wants to split expenses 50-50. We do live below our means and keeping his portion of our joint investment earnings separate from mine. When I asked about how I should feel in this, I was basically told that that's inconceivable for a married couple to not have joint finances. He's selfish. He says it's so he can retire early and know that he's still contributing financially to our lifestyle, which I understand. Curious how people handle their finances in a domestic partnership. So it, it, it's, it, the question is about mixing finances, right? Should mm. you or should you not, whether you're married or in a, in a long-term uh, partnership relationship, um, should you be mixing your finances? And I think the answer really is depends. <laughs> um, the advice that, t that is typically given out is that, you know, married people should put all their money in one checking account and blah, 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 and share everything. And I, and I think the reason that people give that advice is because it forces communication about money. Um, money is the easiest thing to argue about, right? Whether it's your, your partner, your husband, your wife, your kids, your, you know, your father-in-law, whoever. Um, but if you can effectively – my opinion is that if you can effectively communicate about money and not mix it – and Paul, I know you have a specific uh, – you and your wife have a, a way that you do this, so I really want to hear from you. If you can communicate about money and not mix it all the way, you should go for it. You should do what works for you, but don't pretend that something is working when it's not. You can't have this little credit card off to the side or you can't have this little you know, hidden checking account off to the side. Um, you can set those up. <laughs> But you need to be honest with your partner about those. And so everything needs to be out in the open, even if it's not mixed. It needs to be out in the open. And, and Paul, I think you should probably take this from here. Yeah, we, and that's great, great summary, Jody, and, and great um, 
call outs there. Yeah, me and my wife, uh, we've talked about this on previous podcasts. We do split. We do a we don't do a 50 50 split. Right. We do an equitable split based on income, based on how much I make and how much she makes. We do a ratio. And that's how we do it. And to your point, it's transparent. And when I read this story, there's a connotation that the husband is being a bit selfish here. Um, that's what I read from it a, a little bit. But if you read through the comments, I could get beat over the head that he's not. Uh, he just wants his fair share. There's all these different things, right? But I, to your point, Jody, from my perspective, um, I think ratios are good. I, I like the splitting because I think it does maintain financial independence for each person. I like to do it in a um, in a ratio way. So if I'm making X amount and she's making Y, um, the contributions are equitable, right, to the household. Um, and then we could get into, uh, you know, the household and taking care of the kids. There's all kinds of things you could really go down a rabbit hole here. But just keeping it at the financial level, um, I do believe that it's it's good to it's healthy to keep the finances separate, but I know plenty of people that combine them, and the recommendation strongly by financial advisors and 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 personalities is to combine them. But to your point, Jody, I think it comes down to figuring out you know what works best for you. When I read this story, it's a little bit like there's maybe there's another underlying problem there. I don't know if you get that vibe, but. That's kind of how I read it. So um, I don't know if we answered that question for everybody, but my my take on it is that there has to be uh, a split. But I don't agree with the fifty fifty. If if his if the husband is making much more than her, um, then the equity you know if he's making you know, uh, you know fifty thousand a year and she's making you know fifteen thousand dollars a year, then the ratio has to be, you know, seventy five twenty five or whatever that, you know, whatever the math is there. But I don't believe it should be fifty fifty. No. That's not that's my opinion. Jody, any last words on that? I, I think like I said, I, I think it's all about the communication. Uh, regardless of the math, it's gotta be about the communication. You can't hide things from the person you share a home with. Um you got to communicate about it. You got to write it down on a piece of paper and you got to, you know, spit, shake and pinky swear and, and, and execute your plan. Um, if you don't do that, you're going to go off the cliff. Okay, great, great. And I, I don't know if that, um, uh, hopefully that answers people's questions or in their minds of what they've heard. Uh, but read the story and, and for yourself kind of figure out what, what do you think is the, um, and we're interested in your opinion, right? If you uh, were posting these stories to the Facebook page, so if you have an opinion on the way um, we answered them, um, comment in our Facebook page, right? We'd love to get the dialogue going. Um, the second story is from the Personal Finance Channel um, on Reddit. Just saw an email from my boss about potentially letting me go. <laughs> How do I handle this? Um, very interesting. I don't know. I've never had this happen to me, Jody, and I'm kind of taken aback. I guess the the short uh, summary is that uh, they've been going through a lot of staffing changes, and this person was able to somehow get a view into something uh, he or she shouldn't have uh, seen, and now is trying to figure out what to do next. Um, so I think in terms of trying to figure out whether, I guess the questions are, do I wait so I can collect unemployment? Do I quit early? Uh, what, what what should you be doing? And I think in my opinion, it feels that if you found out, either they tell you or you think you're going to get fired, 
um, or you're pretty certain, um, I would start looking for a role, right? And I would worry about collecting unemployment later, right? The priority is to get a job, that in my opinion. Um, I would uh, quit early if a new job came up that made sense, right? I'm confused on the timing a little bit. I'm not sure what the timing looks like here, if it's months or weeks or days. But if I were to come across that type of information, whether they told me straight or I found out inadvertently, um, I think I would, you know, put on my big boy pants and start looking for a new job right away because uh, you don't know how long it's going to take to get that job. Uh, Jody, what's your take on this story? This one is a big ball of mess, and it's worth it's worth reading through here just a little bit to set this up. She, she writes that my job has been going through a lot of staffing changes lately, uh, and I'm getting pretty burnt out. I recently just got I recently got my job back from being wrongfully transferred to another location for three months. I barely received communication from higher ups, and now today I looked at my manager's email and see an email from our regional manager. Okay, so my first question is Snoop much? Mm. Uh, what the hell? Yeah, yeah. Okay, a lot so of ethical things here. Yep. Really? Okay. Uh, the email states after spending more and more time with the, the person who's writing this, I'll withhold her name. Um, she put it in there. Wow. <laughs> uh, I don't think she's in it for the long haul. This is the quote from the from her, this woman's manager. She has a very poor attitude and isn't interested in helping. Blah blah blah. On and on and on. Right. I'm completely shocked by this email because the last couple of months since this woman has become my new regional manager, I've spent less than an hour with her and I'm collectively not sure how she came to this conclusion. It's actually the opposite. I think I'm the only employee. Blah, 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 blah. Listen, sweetheart, you're a complainer. Find a new job <laughs> mm. or wait until you get fired so you can collect unemployment because correct me if I'm wrong, Paul, if you leave a job voluntarily, you, you cannot collect unemployment. That's Am correct. I right or wrong about that? Yeah, that's correct. Uh, okay, I, so in this environment, keep working, keep looking for a job. If you land a new job, great. Uh, if you don't and you get fired, fine. You've at least got the cushion of unemployment, like you said. But holy mackerel, um, like you said, Paul, hike up the, the shorts here, sweetheart. Um, you are a massive complainer. Um, you, you may have had some things thrown at you that are unfair, but oh, like, wow, <laughs> um, you, you uh, maybe need to go see a therapist, I think, yeah, yeah. Is, is the issue. Yeah, it, it is amazing. And I'm glad you're digging into these stories a little deeper. My apologies. So, Joey, thanks for unpacking these last two stories. Um, I probably gleaned over some of these pieces. Um, yeah, I, I totally agree with you. Um, you the, my, someone told me a long time ago, it's better to find a job when you have a job, right? You have confidence. It exudes confidence. There's a lot of studies around that. Um, not always possible to do, right? But if you're in a position where you actually know, this is actually, if you look at it, it's a benefit, right? You're getting insight that you're going to be fired X amount time in the future, right? So now you have more runway to, to look for that job, right? I think it's a, in a weird way, it's a blessing. Um, I don't agree with the way she found out, right? I think there's an ethical piece here. I don't know how she's looking at people's emails and discovering these things, but, um, that aside, uh, ethics aside, um, the earlier you know that you're on your way out the door, the better, right? It gives you more runway to go find that job and work your network. Something tells me this person's not good at doing that, <laughs> but but <laughs> but for the general advice out there for people who know that you know um, it could be as simple as you you've worked for a manager for X amount of years, you have a close relationship. That person may come to you and say, "Listen, I got bad news. In a month and a half." 
you know, you're on that list. And I trust you well, enough let's to be, let's be honest. I mean, in every job, you're always on that list. That's true. Right? <laughs> yes. No, yeah. I mean, no job is guaranteed. And, and I'm not trying to be a pessimist here. You can um, unless you have a contract that defines a term and a salary and a payout, you are an at will employee and you are therefore subject to the whims of the person who supervises you and the person who signs your paycheck. So you should never feel comfortable in a job like, oh, I got, you know, feet up on the desk and no, oh, I know they can, they can never get rid of me. And I think, you know, and I'll be a little bit kind here. This person admits that she is a young person. She writes, this is my first big girl job. So I've never dealt with a scenario like this. Um, and so I'll, I'll find some kindness here and say, okay, look, here's how the world works. <laughs> um, but you're never safe. You should, I mean, and I used to, I had a, a coworker one time who told me um, the, the day after I get hired on a new job, I start looking for the next one because you never know. Yes. Yeah. You just never know. You never know when it's going to, when that ax may fall and, and you're right. You always have to be uh, conscious of this and, and kind of be at the ready. So I think it's a good life lesson, right? Uh, that kind of Boy Scout model. Bado, be prepared, right? So you want to make sure that, to your point, Jody, right, a job is never permanent, right? Um, and, and it's just something you should always have in the back of your mind that you're going to, um, you may eventually leave for whatever reason, and you may have to find another job. So it's always good advice to kind of just, like we said earlier, just, you know, you know, this is happening, you got some runway, go find a new job, you don't get a new job, clock ticks out, take your unemployment, keep looking. I think that's the key. Um, the next topic, and Jody, I know we prepped these things. Um, I went to go click on the, the Reddit story. I accidentally filed a chargeback on a tattoo and I called my credit card to cancel the chargeback. What will happen now? And I guess they deleted the original post. Do you see this, Jody? I guess they got rid of the story. Yeah, I am here. This. Let's define what a chargeback is. Yeah, so I think what they're trying to figure out is, um, I think if I remember reading this, um, they got a tattoo, it didn't come out nice, and they're trying to dispute it, so they want the charge back onto their card. <laughs> and I thought it was just a fun story, Jody. Like, so it, is, I'm... it is great, and let me, let, me, let me jump in and say, as someone who got himself a tattoo just a couple of years ago, mm -hmm. uh, I was late to the party. Uh, <laughs> um, show me a tattoo parlor that takes credit cards and I'll show you a pink elephant. They almost always take cash. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, so I'm not exactly sure where this person found the tattoo place that was going to take his credit card. Um, and my personal is that a ta something like a tattoo should not be financed at, you know, 23% interest, dude, wake up. <laughs> Yeah, it, it really is. <laughs> you know, is. I have a tattoo. I want another – I want to get another tattoo. I'm never going to put it on a credit card. I'm going to get the cash from somewhere. Uh, it's, it's, it's a good laugh. Yeah, yeah. And I think maybe we just kind of leave it, uh, <laughs> you know. Um, yeah, yeah. That's what I thought. A chargeback – I'm just double-checking on this. Chargebacks are forced transaction reversals initiated by the cardholder's bank. They are meant to be consumer protection mechanism but are often overutilized. So I guess – 
I accidentally filed, I, I apologies here, uh, I wish the story was here, but let's just assume um, that the post was about what we talked about, Jody, that they got a bad tattoo <laughs> and they're trying to get their money back. Um, yeah, it, it, it's, it's something that, um, and we've talked about this in past episodes, right? So if you're looking to reverse charges with a credit card, um, call them, follow up. Most likely, they'll put the uh, they'll reverse it temporarily. Um, I thought it was more of a permanent thing, and then it could reach back onto your card, right? Um, so it's interesting how this works. So I think we'll move on from this story because I think you know what I want though, Paul. I really want to see the tattoo. <laughs> yes, yeah. There's no picture here, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is the funny part, right? I want to so, see how bad it is. <laughs> yeah, it, it is pretty funny um, that they probably. Um, yeah, it's probably on YouTube somewhere, right? There's those bad <laughs> tattoo uh, sites out there. Well, anyway, I know we're off on a tangent. We'll jump to the next topic, uh, topic number four. Um, and hopefully this one, the post is not deleted. Ah, it's here. Trying to decide if it's worth refinancing. What what you do? would you do this? And I'm a current homeowner. Um, let's see, purchased a home, 200000 with a loan of 194000 at 3.99% and P&I of... Um, 929 and PMI at 102. Uh, let's see. It looks like during the COVID situation, the rates have dropped. The appraisal, the house has gone up. Uh, so we could drop the PMI. The rate has come down to 3.25 over 3.99. So they're trying to figure out, um, you know, what the re- what the refinance would look like. Um, for me, my rule of thumb with refinancing has always been one point lower. So if you had a 5% mortgage and you could get 4%, that one full point is usually, or more, one full point or more is usually my trigger point for refinancing. Anything less, I typically would not recommend. But in this case, if you can avoid the PMI, that's the uh, the, the mortgage insurance, right? The, so, uh, and drop that cost because the, the house appraisal went up and you can refinance even with uh, a 0.75 savings, I'd have to think about it. I still like the one-point rule of thumb. I wish Will Powell was with us. He's our mortgage expert. Um, but that's always been my rule of thumb is the full one point. Uh, Jody, what was your take when it comes to this, uh, th- this story or this question? Yeah, so I, I was reading through this, and basically the guy says he bought the house at a, at a certain rate, he refied it back at the beginning of COVID to a lower rate. Congratulations to you. He dropped his payments by, by $200 a month. Now he's looking at rates again. He says, oh, should I, should I refi again? And my thought is, dude, overthink much? Mm. Um, you refied. Um, you don't have to do it twice in a year. And unless it's going to go to like almost zero, you're probably not going to recoup that. Yeah, I think it really comes down to the math, Jody. I think I know somebody that refied twice because they went a full point lower and then they had the opportunity to go even a f- another point and a half or two lower than that. And it was like a weird time in the mortgage market. I can't remember the year or the timing, but the math will tell the story. Yeah, he's talking here about resulting uh, getting another $80 a month off. Yeah. Like, yeah is that enough? That yeah, I don't, I think, don't know. It wouldn't I be enough for me. Yeah. No, no. I don't know if you'll get that back, right? I think it really comes down to the math here. And I'm just looking at it. And this is what's hard about these, Jody. We don't have all the, the full story. So I'm looking. They went from 399 to 325. And now they want to go from 325 down to 2.5. 
But are they paying points on Show that? Show me 2. that 5? Five? Two point five. But no, they might be <laughs> Where paying. Are you getting that? They might be paying points on the two point five. You know, so it really. This is what I mean. You really have to do your math here, right? I would need to calculate this out. So, in theory, Jody, I'm gonna I'm gonna rant on this a little bit, right? Because um, if you go from, uh, I I disagree that they should have went from three nine nine to three point two five. I think that probably wasn't worth the jump. But with the PMI, it's debatable, right? I, I'd have to really go through the math um, to see if you'd recoup that. And it all depends on your closing costs and all these different pieces, right? But let's assume standard closing costs and standard rules apply and let's say there was no PMI to worry about I would not refi from 399 to 3.25 I would go to 2.99 or 3 but this person went from 3.99 to 3.25 which I think was a mistake but then the opportunity let's say there were no points on 2.5 I would I would refi again I know it sounds crazy it's a lot of hoops to jump through in a year but you in theory could save a lot of money depending on how long you're going to keep this loan so there is in some cases it would apply to do this refi twice in one year. But Jody, I agree with you. In this situation, I don't think the math will make sense because they're talking about buying the points for $4,000. And when you start talking about buying points, that's the other thing when it comes to mortgages. Mm -hmm. I don't buy points, right? right? I want the pure rate. I'm not buying my rate down, not doing any of that kind of stuff. And we could talk about this more um, in another episode, I think we've talked about mortgage refis where we talk about points and paying for points. And, the you know, we I don't think I've never paid for points, Jody. I don't know if you ever have, nope, but never. you never. pay to bring down the percentage rate. So let's assume they're paying four thousand dollars here to bring that rate to two point five. They're going from three point two five to three. No, this person is not financing. They're not getting good advice when it comes to refinancing. So I'm going to go back to my any advice. He's, he's, he's says that he writes that he's he's banging around on websites. So I, I think he's I think he's believing too much of the Internet here, too. Yeah, I, I could see that. I could see that. But for us uh, coming from ver two very uh, well, coming from two dads who have gone through the refi uh, gauntlet before, my word of advice is if you can't save a full percentage point, it's probably not worth doing it. That's, yeah, that's agree. my bottom and just line. Don't, 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 don't wring your hands over, over these percentages, you know, just lock in at, uh, figure out what you can pay, figure out what you can pay and pay it and don't worry about it. Yes. <laughs> so, yeah. and, don't and, overpay, don't overpay. And certainly don't, you know, try not to pay for things like PMI and stuff like that. Try to get that out of your life. Sure. But you know, housing costs are housing costs. You're going to pay whatever it is it costs to pay in the area that you want to live. So just Get the best rate you can, pay it, and move on. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Put an awful and, lot of energy into, into you know, a quarter percent of a point. Yeah, yeah it, it does get crazy. But for any transaction like this, I think the two rules of thumb would be, one, do your math. Make sure you have your math correct and understand the math. And number two, try to find a good mortgage broker. Right, that you know can help you with these. I, we've had Will Powell on the call on the show, uh, excellent mortgage broker. He would walk you down the path. Yeah. Right, a good mortgage broker need. will walk you down the path. And I gotta say, if 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 Will were reading this, and maybe we'll have to ask him. We're gonna have him on again soon. But if he were reading this, I bet you he'd have some very interesting insight to this. That uh, he would have some very specific mm -hmm. thoughts on this. Yeah, yeah, way better than ours. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I'm just gonna stick with my my multiple rules of thumb here, which are. Number one, full point lower or full point or more than you refinance. When you decide to refinance, make sure you understand the math, do all the you know, understand your paperwork, right? Don't go in and not understanding, 
right? I think that's key. Um, and don't pay points. I think those are the three words of wisdom that we'll give you today. Um, th the next story that we're going to focus on is, let's bring it up here, Jody. And it's how, how, uh, how you help me, can you help me determine how much house I can afford? I'm skeptical, skeptical, skeptical. <laughs> of online calculators. I'm having a hard time speaking today, Jody. The more um, you say it, the stranger it sounds. It Skeptical, does. Right? <laughs> right? It really does. Um, it's very interesting. Um, so this person is trying to determine how much house can they afford? And they're using various calculators online, Smart Asset, Zillow, or NerdWallet, uh, but receiving conflicting conclusions. And they're hoping the community can help. Um, so they're looking to buy a small starter house in Seattle suburbs. Um, looking at a place from 350 to 450, and he's a single guy, but willing to have a roommate. Annual salary of 80k, non-cash investments of 325, um, pretty amazing. Uh, cash savings of 80k, an emergency fund of six months of 80k, and uh, area property taxes 1%, credit score of 810. So man, this guy is thorough. And the one thing that jumps out at me here, if he's got, if he's sitting on non-cash investments of 325 and they're not in a retirement fund oof i would just buy the house cash yeah really. <laughs> i would just buy the house cash at this point but i could see his um if he's a young guy and trying to um figure out you know life and he wants to grab the mortgage if i were him i would tell him just to liquidate and buy the house and forget about it and that money will build back without a mortgage but assuming he wants to jump in this and determine how much house he could afford, um, my rules of thumb are, he's correct. The, the online calculators can be deceiving. I know that um, they may tell you that you can afford more than you actually can, right? So you have to be very, very careful. I err on the side of conservatism. You also have to take into account other costs, right? So it's the the pity, right? Which is principal, interest, tax, and insurance. Those are the four big ones. But then there's electric to heat the house. What's your commute look like? Um, what is the uh, landscaping going to look like? Are you going to do it yourself? You're going to hire somebody. If you're going to hire somebody, how much does that cost? I don't want to think. I don't want to say you have to overanalyze this, Jody. But you do have to put a significant amount of analysis in. And, and either get a piece of paper out or do it in a spreadsheet, whatever you're comfortable with, and do the math. This is another do the math problem. This guy seems to have a, a good cushion with a lot of money, and he has a good start in life, so I think he could comfortably afford the 350 to 450. But when I read through the comments, there's all kinds of different things here. Um, they talk about mortgage, right? Are you going to get a 15-year or a 30-year, right? If, you know, these different types of things, right? So, Jody, what is your take when it comes to this story? Yeah, I, I agree with a lot of those observations, Paul. I mean, my, my first thought is that I, I'm going to make an assumption that he's living somewhere that's he has to pay for, right? He, he's in an apartment somewhere. He's paying rent. Um, so my thought would be just in a, in a general sense, try to get your monthly payment on your new mortgage to where your rent payment is right now. Um, I agree with you with grabbing some of this cash and either buying it, buying it outright uh, or buying it, uh, you know, sort of like like putting 50% down on it and, and having a payment that is equivalent to what your rent payment is right now. He talks about having a roommate. Boy, when you buy a house, the last thing you want is a roommate. Mm. Um, great if you want to get one. If it's cool for you, that's fine, you know, uh, you know uh, whatever you want to do. Um, but you're right. He's sitting on a pile of cash. Um, I think he should utilize some of that to put into this house. 
Um, and that was the first thing that jumped out at me too, Paul, is, is calculate the everything else that this house is going to cost you. Um, and, and that was, uh, I've told the story about our big mistake when we went and bought that first house that we bought that we're no longer in. That was this gigantic house. Uh, and the mortgage company said, we'll loan you a million dollars. Uh, and I was like, you're smoking crack. Mm. Um, but we still took a gigantic mortgage payment. And what they didn't tell us was it's going to cost $500 a month to heat the place, another $500 a month on electricity, another $200 a month on this thing. Um, and, and all of a sudden, our mortgage payment is 1.7x <laughs> mm. uh, what, the, what the mortgage, you know, what the, the house payment with everything else, all those utilities just went up and up and up. Um, so you really have to write down everything about the upkeep costs of the house to your point, Paul, including things like your commute. Does your commute get more expensive? Um, does, do, are there other things that you have to pay for uh, in, in, in having this house? Um, so, yeah, try to try to get that payment down as low as po you possibly can, maybe by utilizing some or all of that cash. Uh, and make sure that you also factor in what the house is going to cost you that's not a mortgage payment. Yeah, all, all, all well said. And I think some of the points that jumped out at me while you were speaking. Um, yeah, a roommate, uh, especially if you're going to just find a random roommate, doesn't own the house and doesn't care about your house. <laughs> so just remember that. Mm -hmm. um, that's going to be key, right? Maybe if you have a friend, I don't know the roommate situation, but the way I read this uh, question, I'm a single guy but willing to have a roommate. That means he doesn't have anyone in mind. And, uh, and, and it's, and, and so for me, that and it doesn't have a roommate right now. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. And, and it's, and, and I just hope that, uh, the, you know, if you bring in a roommate, just be prepared. They're not going to care about that house as much as you do because they don't own it. Right. So I think that's key. Um, the other thing that jumped out at me, roommate, and this roommates is, roommates also come, uh, uh, roommates also come with friends. Absolutely. And right? if you got a house. And they got a key to the front door of your house. Is there? You're gonna come home one day. And you're gonna find 20 people in your living room. <laughs> That's right. That's right. That, it's just the way life is. I we've all experienced it. If we've ever had roommates, we've experienced this problem. So yeah, buddy, I would keep. I would be careful of uh, the roommate. And maybe you got enough money. You don't need a roommate. You know, we got big. We got nice numbers here. Don't worry about the roommate at this point. Um, my other call out is if you're gonna take out a mortgage. Uh, no more than 25% of your take-home pay. That's a Dave Ramseyism, um, And I believe that is kind of one of those 25% is a good rule of thumb, but I like to pile other things into there. And, and once again, you have to use it as a rule of thumb. Um, I, I like to include interest and taxes in there, especially on the East Coast. And I, he's talking about Seattle, 1%. So what is that? Um, well, I guess the taxes aren't that bad. A 1% on 450000 be 4500 a year. Man, mm -hmm. I would love to have $4,500 a year in property taxes. Yeah, sign me up. Man, I could do so much other things, right, if I had that kind of deal. Um, I would have thought that. What are you that, complaining about? You don't even have a mortgage payment anymore. Yeah, but those taxes, those taxes don't go down. <laughs> That's right? right. That's never the do. problem. They I mean, never do. Yeah. Uh, for those of you who don't know, Jody and I live in probably the heaviest taxed, property taxed counties in the nation. Yeah, right. And I get a red, I get a red carpet rolled out in front of my door every morning when I go to work. Uh, yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah. We have hovercrafts in our <laughs> town. Um, but yeah, it's amazing how 
bad the taxes are. So I always gravitate towards the taxes. So when I read 1%, I'm like, man, 1% would be killer. That would be awesome. Um, so when I read this guy's math, um, I think about the 25% rule, and I would try to adhere to that. The other thing that, st that struck out at me was that he could split the middle here, right? So I said earlier he could use that, liquidate the 324 or 325 plus his 80K savings, liquidate everything, and buy the house for cash. Um, he could split the middle, right? He could do uh, half uh, of the of those assets, put them down on the house and have a small mortgage payment. And then when he's tired of the mortgage payment, he could just pull the money out of the bank and, and pay it off. I could say if he has any inkling of paying off the mortgage within uh, a five-year period, then just buy it outright now because you're gonna it's going to cost you to get a mortgage even on this transaction, Jody, and I'm I'm probably shooting from the hip. It's got to be at least ten thousand dollars in transaction costs just to do a mortgage on three fifty. Probably, I would think, right? Between yeah. attorneys and fees and appraisals and everything else. But if you walk in with cash, that might even give you more buying power, right? That might even give you an extra edge in negotiation. Well, absolutely, give you more buying power, right? If you don't have to get a mortgage, that'll make the seller just... sit up and pay attention. Cash That's right. Day, yes, sir. Absolutely, right? Duffel bag for effect would even be better but probably Ooh. not recommended, probably be unsafe. And a really big guy with a <laughs> with, with, with silver shades on. <laughs> yeah, I, you'd have to have body protection for that. Yeah, I don't think I could walk around with that number. Uh, that's a good question. I'm going to divert for a second, Jody. What is the most amount of money you'd be comfortable walking around with personally? I'm throwing oh, us gosh, off base that's here. That's funny. Um couple hundred bucks yeah yeah I, i'd have maybe. to agree yeah yeah maybe am i worst day? well maybe. yeah I, I, yeah I, mean, I, I remember i remember back in the days of you know uh, uh uh international travel where you had to um um either withdraw money or get what what, what was it it was um it's not money orders what did you get when you when you went over like travel express checks? car checks Travelers checks, Travelers right? Travelers checks, yes. Right, and and you basically wrote a check. You went, you went to the bank in the country that you were visiting, and you wrote a check and you gave it to them, and they gave you back cash of the of the you know currency of the the nation that you were in, and um, that was a way to avoid traveling with money, with cash money. And I guess what this was also in the days before you know you could walk into a bank and you know, credit card, debit card, all that kind of stuff, um, uh, and and that was unnerving. Um, you know, imagine walking around with thousands that I don't know how those, you know, you see them in movies with the, the briefcase full of money. I don't know how those guys do it. I guess they carry really big guns. Yeah. I, yeah. That, or, you know, I, I don't, I don't know if I worry so much about the theft. I, 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 I feel like there could be just a lapse of judgment, right? It, <laughs> I leave it on the train or like, I don't know, like I go to get a Starbucks and I go to put bag of money. <laughs> yeah. I go to, to a Starbucks to, to get coffee and I put the bag down and walk out with my coffee. And then a half hour later realize I don't have the bag. Right. Like that would be my biggest fear, um, uh, which uh, in addition to the danger, right, if someone knows you have that kind of money on you. So we've gone really off track here, but kind of circling it back. Um, if this guy could pay cash for this house, uh, guy or gal uh, could pay cash for this house. Oh, single guy. Let me take that back. I'm reading the story. Uh, single guy can 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 pay for this house cash. I would pay all cash, buddy. Uh, please, if you're listening to our podcast, I would just buy it for cash and that money will build back up. If you're nervous about spending all that money in one spot and you want to take a mortgage and you don't pay, plan on paying it off in less than five years, take a 15-year fixed mortgage 
uh, put as much cash down that you're comfortable with and live with your mortgage payment. I guarantee you at some point you'll be sick of paying that payment every month and you'll look at over at the other pile of money you have and just say, you know, I'm just going to pay this thing off. But um, that's just from a, uh, an old man that uh, has gone through this and, and procrastinated on paying for something in cash like the house. Um, not that it could have paid for it in cash, but hesitating on pulling the trigger to pay it off. Um, it, it, it's, it's much better. If you have this kind of step up on life and you could afford to buy a house cash, I would just go for it. Did I emphasize, Jody, that he should just buy the house cash? I uh, I yeah, I think that. you covered that. All Thanks. right, cool, cool. Okay, <laughs> so I'll leave it at that. I think that's all the stories we have, Jody, for today. I guess my recap, as I look through here, I guess personal recap, I should read these stories more before I go through them with you on the air. <laughs> so I'm going to take that aside, and I should have checked, and I should have double-checked about the tattoo parlor one. Um, I like the fact that we, we kind of just vibed, we just kind of riffed on that and kind of assumed what the whole problem was. Um, but I'm still with you. I want to see how bad that tattoo was, right, to figure out why they needed to call the money back. But I think on a serious note, some of the takeaways, um, you know, that I wanted to kind of uh, highlight were, you know, this 50-50 this split of the, of the house finances between your, you and your spouse be equitable, right? If you make a lot more than your spouse, your spouse makes a lot more than you, do it in ratios. Don't do 50-50. That's not fair. Um, and, and it's just something that will lead to bigger problems, at least in my opinion, if, you, if you're going to go the 50-50 route. Um, most people combine, but if you're going to go splitting, then split with an equitable split. That's what we do, and that's what you should do. Um, in terms of if you get a bad tattoo, um, you know, uh, and you want to get your money back on it, um, good luck. I think that's just uh, a very inter that's going to be a very interesting set of paperwork you're going to have to fill out with the bank. And I guess my last piece here is when it comes to the mortgage and the single guy, you got the cash, pay for the house cash, you won't regret it. Jody, what's your takeaway from today? I think in general, in addition to that, Paul, is that you know the the realization that we've we've all made financial mistakes, we've all screwed up a little bit. Um, many of these take mistakes are avoidable. Um, just step back, take a breath look at the situation, um, second guess yourself uh, before you make the decision. Uh, if you do make the mistake, you know, recover and move on, but don't, don't wring your hands over it. Um, try to take a lesson away from everything and, and certainly don't bother posting on Reddit about a bad tattoo that you got. Yeah, yeah a good call out, good call out. Well, Jody, I thoroughly enjoyed our discussion today and I'm personally looking forward to the next one. Thanks everyone for downloading our podcast. If you have any questions or comments, please email us at financialdads at gmail.com or check us out on Facebook. Just go to financialdads.com. So with that, this is Paul and Jody reminding you, managing finances can be stressful, but that's why the Financial Dads are here to help you plan for success. Have a good one, everybody. Be well and thank you. Thank you.